Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey and I'm here with the wonderful uh, writer, sitcom writer, children's CBBC writer and lovely person, uh, Julie Bauer. Hello, Julie. Hello, thank you for having me. And uh, uh, Julie is is probably best known for her um, CBBC show, which she uh, created. Is that fair to say created? Yes, yes. Called So Awkward? Yes. Which is now onto its... Uh, fifth series. Fifth series. Yeah. Okay. So this, in anyone's book, makes you a successful writer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> so um, you now write uh, comedy, and uh, you've written comedy for quite a while. Um, was was comedy really important to you as you growing up? What was Julie watching when she was sitting on the floor at home? tuning in was she watching the two ronnies and faulty towers or was she watching yeah i mean it was it was a big part of my family culture growing up um my my family were all big comedy nerds in the 80s so i grew up watching what my big brothers were watching ah. and it was that that lovely feeling that it was something we would all do together as a family right. and um being able to share blackadder quotes oh. felt very important and part of belonging to my family yeah. <laughs> it was like part of our culture um yeah. so it yeah it was always something that blackadder is a really big quotable moment yeah. for lots and lots of people isn't it yeah well of course that was you know back in the old days yeah. when that was the only there weren't as many channels and there yeah. weren't as many options if you were interested in comedy yeah there were there were that was one of the three shows yeah. that you would be might be watching yeah. so it, it sort of I, I remember as a kid it felt very personal and it felt very um yeah, part of my my family culture, and, yeah. um, and my you know my dad was a huge Radio Four fan growing up. So oh, we okay. Kind of had all that. We used to have this Monty Python audio tape. We used to listen to in the right. car. So just it was just always there in the background. So um, I w- I was not a Radio Four listener growing up. Um, for some reason, it was all Radio Two in my house, and the only comedy that we got that was out and out comedy was 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 age. Well, might even have been on Radio One. Was the Adrian Just thing a very long time ago? It's a Sunday lunchtime thing where he used to hash together loads of different comedy clips, almost making new. It was almost like mashup comedy kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, no. So Radio Four came much later for me. Not till university was I listening to. I think I was given a cassette um, with a freshers bag or something, and it had Harry Hill's Fruit Corner on it, and it had Alan Partridge. Um, there was an episode, it was the your France's second best racing driver, that one, you know, the, the Bergerac yeah, uh, yeah. thing. So that's when I got into Radio um, yes, 4 yeah. um, and that kind of thing. But you had that growing up, Radio 4 as well. Go- were you made to listen to The Goons? Uh, yes, that was that. I think my dad had a, a an LP okay. of of the goons that I didn't. I wasn't quite as that didn't get me in the same way no, as me the Python sketches did. Okay, um, and then but then what was nice about like kind of for my generation that sort of shift into the nineties there was that yeah. huge surge of comedy that I think as a generation we felt was just for us. Yeah, suddenly we were watching shows that our parents weren't necessarily yeah. into, and it kind of like it's it was nice to have that growing up as well yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it there's that sense of you really want because i remember actually even as a teenager i think i remember when um i remember when a grand day out was on tv the first (laughs) nick park thing Mm. and i taped it and i really wanted my parents to watch it because i just said i think you'll really like it and they did but then there was other comedy where i wouldn't dream i wouldn't dream of getting them to watch it you know like Paul Merton, the series, or, yeah, or yeah. Absolutely, or yeah. all those sorts of channel. Remember when Channel 4 used to make... Yeah, yeah, it, edgy. Sort of edgy, but sort yeah. of studio comedy as well yeah. that felt, you know, very studio-ish. Yeah. Um, but, um, 
But yeah, so you sort of grew from that something we all do together to something this is yeah. kind of your own. I mean, I remember watching the Office Christmas special on my own in the kitchen because right. nobody in my family was, was interested in it at right. the time and just going into the living room, absolutely crying my eyes out, going, like, feeling like I'd won because obviously I discovered this this wonderful right. thing that, that yeah. they, you know, that they'd obviously weren't interested in and... I remember, I remember mm. even though I wasn't a huge fan of the royal family, mm. getting them to watch the Christmas special. Yeah. And yeah. they thought it was rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when they were all crying on the kitchen floor after, you know, on the bathroom floor, or, you know what yeah. I mean? They, she'd had the baby and stuff. And they were just like, right, that's, that's meant to be funny, is it? The royal family is interesting because I think I know so many people that it reminds them of their family growing up. And some people love it for that reason. And some people hate it for that reason. Oh. That it's like some people like to see television reflecting their yeah. their life some people i guess don't yeah yeah no absolutely um so you were sort of absorbing comedy and 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 were you sort of were you one of those geeks who maybe it's a boy thing but of course you know let's not stereotype were you one of these people who would memorize stuff and would know it all the next day at school um or were you well it's it's really interesting how you you, you say it. it's if is that more of a boy thing because certainly when i was 14, 15, I don't remember having other female friends that I could do that with. Ah. And I went to and I went to an all girls school. So ah. therefore there was nobody. And then I remember going into the sixth form and for the first time other girls had started watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay. And that was the first time age 17 that I remember actually being able to do that with other girls. Um so I think it does it, it was and it was fantastic. It mm. really does make a difference when you suddenly feel like, oh my god, this is something that I can share with yeah. other people, and yeah. uh, it's not like a. Oh, and I remember one, the weirdest girl in the class, yeah. and I having a competition over who liked Red Dwarf more. <laughs> like when I was like thirteen or something, yeah. and thinking it's just me and her. Then yeah. you know, like there wasn't. It wasn't. I, I think it's very different now, yeah. but certainly that was oh, that man. was what I remember growing up. That it wasn't something that you could do with other girls. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. think that's the case so much now. Um, well, I don't know. Um, uh, maybe we just pretend it is. Um, <laughs> Red Dwarf is a really mm. interesting show because that's quite an important show for a lot of people. Um, I remember uh, Michelle Farr, the producer I worked with on, on Bluestone, she was a massive Red Dwarf fan and that was a big thing with her and her brother as well, I, I, I think. But um, I think my sister used to, one of my sisters used to watch it and she, she could take it or leave it, to be honest. But... Um, uh, but do you have a particular favourite? Is that one of your Desert Island sitcoms? Do you yeah, think? absolutely. Yeah, and that was that was uh, from series three to yeah. six, wasn't oh. it? It suddenly came into its own. Yeah, and um, again, it was really delightful realizing that other kids my age were watching yeah. it and suddenly and I learned about science from that show. I, I remember. No, you didn't. Bits, <laughs> no, I remember. I learned Newton's. <laughs> Three laws of physics, physics yeah. from um, the episode White Hole, oh. where Crichton says every action has, has an equal and opposite reaction. reaction. And that's I remember, yeah. Sorry. That's my favourite episode. It's a great episode. So you were finding people to talk to comedy about. Were you starting to do comedy yourself in any way at all? Were you like making, were you like writing snarky uh, articles for school magazines and that kind of stuff? Or were you... I was trying to write sketches okay. and they were really odd and they didn't make any sense, but I was trying to, I was trying to imitate the, the rhythms and the speech right. patterns of sketches at a very young age Okay. and just writing. Yeah. It was really odd, the mm. stuff I was doing, but it was, I was trying to get my head around Yeah. what it was I was trying to say. And who were they, who were they for? I, Do you know what I mean? Did, uh, oh, did, no one. I just wrote them. I think I might have shown them to my friends, right. um, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really for anything. It was just to see if I could... I, I could hear 
sounds a bit crazy. I could hear, have, I had the voices in yeah. my head. Yeah. Right? I had voices in my head and I was just trying to find what to do with them. Yeah. Um, nothing, nothing worrying there. It won't, <laughs> it won't be, nothing will be as weird as Lucian, uh, who we spoke to a few weeks ago, who wrote a spec Fraser script at the age of about 11. So wow. that's pretty much yeah. the baseline. Yeah. I mean, and I wrote, a, I wrote a, um, I wrote a Blackadder script when I was about 17, yeah. 18, the beginning of my gap year where it was set in the Battle of Hastings. Wow. Um, so, and Baldrick somehow had managed to kill King Harold or something like that. Um, it probably exists in a box somewhere. Yeah. Which I have yeah. not yet set fire to. It could um, be worth millions. It could be. <laughs> to who, I don't know, but maybe. Um, so, um, so you go from there and then, and then what sort of happens? How do you, how do you go from there to loving comedy and writing stuff for your own amusement really or, to get that rhythm into did that start affecting courses and places you went on all that kind of stuff I think I remember thinking if I want to do this as a career and be taken seriously obviously comedy is not the route that I ah. should be taking uh, I wasn't aware of any prominent female comedy writers right. um, and I thought obviously obviously in order to be taken seriously I need to be a lot posher mm. and I need to have an interest in theatre because that's what people oh, right. who make careers out of this go off and do oh. um so that I tried to acquire an interest in theatre <laughs> in my late teens and yeah and I mean I do I do love theatre but I, I I was forcing it because yeah, I yeah. felt like that was the option if I wanted to be creative right that was the option that I should yeah. and then so comedy was like a a secret okay a secret uh, love that obviously wouldn't make me any money and it wasn't right. something that well, I could go well, out to the that, world that's, and do. That's a good thing to think at Absolutely. the start. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, money, yes. I was right first time about yes, that, right. definitely. Money, but... money is very much mm. the outlier, um, uh, especially early on. But yes, and, and so um, obviously once you have a drama degree, very much the world is your oyster, as I think <laughs> we discovered. Well, the job offers were just rolling. Um, can as you, yeah. you were. <laughs> yes, that's right. You were fighting them off with this enormous stick um, that you got. Oh, I was very lucky. I got uh, I got to go and do, uh, it used to be called a TV TVYP, Television and Young People, right. five days of workshops and masterclasses at the Edinburgh Festival. Oh, um, and it was fantastic and um, it, it was really good. It was one of these things you had to write in and I think they still do some scheme okay. that's like it. That's very, it's very similar. Um, I can't remember what it, how I got onto it. I had to fill in a form or something yeah. and I write like entering a cornflakes mm. yeah, yeah. competition, writing a hundred words why you love telly or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, and I, I did this and got sort of got into television really yeah. through the contacts I made there mm. and kind of threw myself into working in documentaries yeah which again felt very grown up very sensible very um uh middle class right. like it felt like what I should be doing okay. rather than what I okay secretly wanted to be doing I okay think. so you're working on docs and yeah you worked yeah. In, so I know I know none of this this is all very interesting oh. um the so you worked in TV production, yeah, yeah, researching documentaries, producing. Yeah, I mean, I started off, uh, you know, twenty two. Yeah, worked as a as a as a uh, PA for right. for twenty five pence a, yeah. a week, sort of thing, and yeah. then um, worked my way up. I did that for a couple of years, um, and I was I was I was assistant producer on a couple of things. Okay, um, and it's just really hard work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's such hard work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even um, bad television is a lot of work. Yeah, so much work. Yeah. Like, In fact, it's yeah. about the same amount of work as good television, annoy yeah. annoyingly, yeah. Um, just to get all the forms clear, get everything yeah. cleared and legal yeah. and everything. 
And really, there's so much television out there. What's the point half the time? You know, everyone might as well just be at home with their families. <laughs> so I can sense your heart was very much not in it. But uh, so you were churning out docs and that kind of stuff. So at what point? So so the, the, the point where I became aware of your comedy chops was you did a radio uh, pilot one-off thing. And I want to say it was called something like 41 Cedar Street. Yes, that's, yeah, you, that's it. it that was, was the right number? 49 Cedar oh, Street. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. 49. I, it, I knew it was a two or a four at the start. Mm. Um, and I seem to remember it had Colin Holt in it. Yes, yeah, yes. and Tom Parry, and it was produced by Colin Anderson. Okay, and, and I seem to remember... Fay was in it. And I remember it being yeah. very funny. Oh. Um, and, um, and then thinking, oh, I hope they make that into a series, and then they didn't. No. Um, so how did that come about? Was that early on in your sort of um, comedy explorations or was the, it the process by which that got commissioned is the longest most convoluted you know like that that description of getting a Vogon to do something in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy <laughs> without orders sent in sent out <laughs> filed in triplicate buried in peat for three days and recycled as file okay that is literally what happened to that script oh wow okay during the commission process it was yeah it was absolutely um so, so it was part of a uh, sitcom writing festival right. that, that called the Sitcommission. Yes. Um, where like, oh yes, yeah, yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah, I know the guys who do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. And still do, and they 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 sort of have fifteen minute sitcoms as that's well. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. they get actors to read them, and it's yeah. So it seems to be a very good thing. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a, it's a great way to mm. to try try ideas out, get yeah. things stood up in front of an audience, and 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 it was just loads of fun. Yeah. To do, um, but it, again, it's for a fifteen minute script, then goes through two months or something of, of being performed and rewritten yeah. and performed and perform- so you get a very detailed look yeah. at, at what's going on with it and then a friend of mine was on a like a temporary placement or something in mm. Radio 4 and I think he pitched it and it got forgotten I don't quite know what happened right. I think he he went back to his previous job right. and then for some reason I don't you know I don't know I only know what I was told and I didn't right. hear anything for, for months and then uh, Colin Anderson who did produce it in the mm. end he'd been working overseas he came back I emailed him about working on something else right. and he just remembered that he'd seen it right. and uh, managed to go down to whatever ancient vaults they <laughs> bury these things I don't know and, and dug up dug up some notes on it yeah. and uh, got and, it out of the peak and got it out of the, yeah I dug it yeah literally dug it up <laughs> um, and and managed to get it commissioned yeah and I yeah it was all very baffled. As as a new writer, mm. you're you're trying to answer that question all the time, aren't you? Can I actually do this? Yeah. Am I wasting my time? Yeah. What does the real world think of this? And it's really hard to know. I think when the process is, you can't tell from a process like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that experience was very unique to me, but you, I couldn't tell from right. from that year if I was wasting my time or not, or if if it was any good, or if mm. any, it just felt like. Yeah. It got, yeah. Yeah. It is this anything? Hard. Am I? Can I do this? It's yeah, a big. Yeah. yeah, yeah no. And yeah. and actually to test it out. I mean, that's one of the upsides of doing um, the Edinburgh Fringe. Is yes. like you yeah. are performing for strangers mm. um, because none of your friends will go to Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> um, they just won't because they have more sense than that. And actually doing the same show, you know, t- twenty six times in a row, you really find out if it's funny or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, whether also whether you want to do it or not. Yeah. Did you go? Th- did you have any Edinburgh frustrations or stuff, or did you go straight from straight into the radio thing? Um, 
I mean, broadly speaking, Edinburgh was 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 out of the question for me from a financial point right. of view. I just I was earning, I was working in a call center, earning minimum wage, trying right. to trying to make it as a writer. Mm. And I just things like Edinburgh, I just was totally yeah, yeah. beyond. Uh, I did have I went as a student. I did a student production, okay. which was a very uh, contemporary adaptation of Molière's Tartuffe, which was oh. mental. Okay, um, and that was that was fun to do. Right. But um, but the yeah the actual the years when I was actually trying to make it as a writer, right. just things like. Um, yeah, I just I yeah. don't know how people fight. I don't know how people do it. Like it's so yeah, no, especially now where yeah. it, where it's it's even more expensive because yeah. because the accommodation's the killer now. Previous yeah, um, I did yeah. I ran a show last year at the Fringe and the the show was the cheap bit. Yeah, um, it was just everything else that was. Yeah, uh, and also I don't know how people find the energy because mm. I was tired all the time because no. I was working full time and then writing and then trying to yeah, I'd sort of like do an early shift at the call center so I could make it yeah. for a four o'clock meeting. And then I'd just be exhausted. Yeah. And I just, I don't know how people, I don't know, yeah. maybe I'm... Well, no, and I think, I, I think if, yeah. you're a, if you're a performer, if you're a writer-performer as well, I think the desire, I think Edinburgh is a bit of a glittering prize. Mm. But if you're a writer, first and foremost, I don't think it is yeah. necessarily the sort of, you know, because you, you, you would drive yourself to do a show there if you were a wannabe stand-up writer-performer. Yeah. Because that's there's gold in them, their hills, sort of. Mm. But if you're just a writer, you're not really necessarily going to get the most out of Edinburgh. And there are other things you could do, which is yeah, yeah. write a script that's going to be buried in peat by the Vogels, <laughs> which you know, which yeah, in itself yeah. was a lot of work, and you know, yeah, you the sick yeah. the sick commission and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So that was in a way you mm. you kind of short. Because I remember you. I, I was about to say a sorry. short. I was about to say a sh- you found a shortcut there, but yeah, it very yeah. much was not. <laughs> but yeah, a cheaper way of doing it because yeah. it was in. But I remember like you've blogged a lot about the argument against making something yourself yeah. versus just sitting at home yeah. and just writing something, which is cheaper yeah, and yeah. easier and less. And I think there's pros and cons yeah. to both. Um, yeah. And uh, I think I'm changing my advice on yeah, that. Yeah. Because I think just going out and doing stuff. Um, I think you can now make stuff more easily yes. um, and, you know, proving the concept and stuff. But equally, if you just want to write a script, I think that's still ultimately the, 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 it's a democratic thing that a script written by Julie Bauer and a script written by Richard Curtis is typed mm. on the same computer. Mm. We're using the same software. Yeah. And the end result looks exactly the same. It's just the words are different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's something amazingly democratic about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is not to be sneezed at. But mm. um, so, Colin uh, phoned you and pulled your script off the pile, yes. um, and produced it. He did. He get it bought. He, presumably, he got it bought um, by Radio Four. Yes. As yeah. part was it part of a season of new shows or something? I seem to remember. Yeah, that's right. I think they had. Um, it was either three or six mm. new new pilots. Um, and it was called something like Happy Tuesdays or something okay. where they broadcast a new pilot every every yeah. day for a week. And um, I had very low expectations of it getting made into a series, right. um, which was good because <laughs> it wasn't. Um, yes. But it was. It My was... mum would love you. She, <laughs> she always says, "He who expecteth nothing will never be disappointed." It's absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I, I. Yeah. I stand by that. Mm. Um, but it was. It was a wonderful experience, yeah. and it was just that shot, that extra shot in the arm of mm. confidence of like, well, maybe I can do this. Yeah. You know, maybe I can. Yeah. Um, you know, some really, really cool people worked on this. Yeah. And it, it, I was proud. I was proud of it. Yeah. I, I was, it was recorded in front of an audience, wasn't it? Yeah, which yeah. Was really fun. Because in terms of yeah. just sort of testing, testing yourself, as it were, mm. that was that's a fairly early big test, isn't it? Yeah. Because the script is king, really. In a yeah, 
in, in a radio live mm. thing that's like they're reading out the words that what you wrote yeah hope it's funny <laughs> um hope you found the funniest order yeah <laughs> um, um so for whatever reason did you know do you uh, on a previous episode we talked to saskia schuster um and uh, who was a controller of comedy at itv and she said she always likes to give the writer a reason for why they didn't buy the show and i said i never want to know the reason because right. there's only one reason is you didn't like it enough yeah to break any of your rules to commission it did you get a reason did you care did it devastate you you were you were already ready for it to not be commissioned as a series um i don't actually remember what what the reason was maybe um maybe they all hated it and nobody wanted to tell me right. i don't i don't know i okay. um it felt yeah, like getting it on. Yeah. Did it feel like yeah. getting it on? You'd already won. As yeah, it, were. it felt like getting it on. It was such a huge achievement, right. and it was beyond. I'd been trying, you know, like so many people when you first start out, just to get one sketch yeah. on an open door show, which is really hard yeah. to do. Um, and I felt like I couldn't even contemplate pitching Radio Four sitcom until I'd actually you yeah. know, cracked yeah, these, yeah. Ske- these sketch shows. And I hadn't really ever had low. I mean, I had the odd sketch on, right? Um, but I hadn't like. I think some writers just. They have that knack and they do stand out. Um, And I think uh, Radio 4 is very good at picking up people Mm. who they can tell have got that real gift Mm. and and working with them and developing. And I was never one of those people. Right. Um, So I always felt like I sort of was cheating a bit by by skipping around that hurdle and going straight (laughs) in and having a pilot. Yeah. Um, So so in in itself, it it felt like a a real achievement. You jumped the queue. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't sure where it would have gone as a series either. I mean, you say it, you know, don't you, at the time. You're like, oh, I've got so many ideas for this series. But I was like, this thing has just been like a one, a 30 minute script for a hundred years now right. I've got no idea really what what would happen to it next but was it very much did, I mean did it feel like that though? did it feel like this is my show and once it's done I don't I don't have anything else um or was it like I've, I've I'm now sick to death of it I don't want to do this and I I've got loads of other ideas for new shows was that your feeling which um I yes I was I was I had a number of other scripts that yeah. I was, was sort of trying to you know like you do mm. you write the thing and you send it out to yeah anyone Anyone yeah. who might anyone. read it, anyone who might take pity on you and read yeah. it. Um, so I was doing that kind of at the same time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was. It was massively helpful to have that, you know, that little thirty-minute thing that had been broadcast. Yeah. That I could I could then send out and say, yeah, yeah. please read my script. I've had this thing broadcast. Yeah. I'm proper. You know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so how do we get from there mm. to uh, to so awkward on CBBC? Um. So I had i don't remember it's all it's all a bit yeah. there was so much going on because i was making i was working with film like film directors and making little short films as well okay. and doing a lot of live sketch shows okay and I what had, sort of live sketch shows um just like on the sort of london comedy circuit okay group working with different groups of performers okay. on on different shows um and that was taking up a lot of time yeah. and how did you know them how did you get to say can i write you some material i think it was like ads online like okay like websites like shooting i don't know like okay um it was yeah there was there was uh, just any any opportunity going yeah. i would just be like right i'll try i'll try this i'll try this i'll try this and just kind of trying to yeah 
any experience that I could get, yeah, no yeah. matter how insane it might have seemed. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the world of short film, you just end up having meetings with lunatics. Like it's um, some of the people that like <laughs> had funded were funding these projects from I don't know how, and yeah. and were just kind of had these insane ideas, and it was like. It was really fun mm. and exciting, but I don't know if in career terms it actually achieves that yeah. that much. You know, I don't know how, how it sometimes feels like I felt at the time like I was just spending a lot of time yeah. meeting lunatics and not a lot of time yeah. <laughs> actually getting better at the right. thing I was trying to get better at. Yeah. Um, but but so I had, off the back of it, I had one short film, mm -hmm. uh, which I was very proud of, that got funding by the Film Council. Wow. And that off the back of that, I'd got an agent. Right. And so I was kind of working with my agent to just get scripts out in front of people. Mm. And um, so So Awkward was was one of those scripts. Right. And I had sent it to um, to uh, the, the producer, um, right. Sally Martin at Channel X, and uh, she pitched it to to CBBC. So it was, right. that was all quite... No, nothing... Conventional? Yeah, quite conventional. There's yeah. nothing, nothing particularly... But it was one unusual. of many irons in the fire, yeah, as it absolutely, were. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not the, like it's... Yeah. Because you're, not, you're certainly not making it... Because describing that bit as conventional, you make it sound like you're apologising for this smooth transition <laughs> that you had yeah. from loving comedy as a, <laughs> as a teenager to... And here I go with my series. It's yeah. like, you know... And it, was a long, it was a long time. Yeah. But then these things do take a long time. Yeah. And, um, so a lot of waiting and a lot of... You know, I think the best, the best thing to do with the, all these things is just once you've written it and it's in forget all about it yeah move on to the next thing yeah. and you know just try and keep as many uh, as many projects turning over yeah. as possible um and yeah. and i think while you're at the start of your career and you're still figuring out what it is you want to write and what you want to say and how you want to say it mm. as many formats as possible yeah you know try, trying making your own stuff working with other people or making stuff um just you know because i think it's all part it does help yeah. you kind of discover what it yeah. is that you're best at. Yeah, and also you're getting used to working in collaboration because, yeah, I mean, as you yeah. know, I mean, TV particularly is a team game. Yeah. Um, you just can't, it's not like a director auteur thing. It's not like a, you know, it's not, you don't just click your fingers and stuff happens. It's just everything is negotiation. Everything is, you know, dependent on this. There's never enough money. There's yeah. never enough yeah. time. And, you know, you have to trust people to get on with their job and you have to learn to get over it when very yes. occasionally they don't. Yeah. Um, and because very occasionally we don't. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but obviously we would never admit that. Um, so you go from sort of, I mean, there must have been euphoria and panic when you go from, I've written a CBBC script to, okay, so 13, here we go. Yeah, yeah, terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. It's like um, that bit in um, Fuck Ted where he's still clinging onto the bottom of the plane right. after. It was like that. It just felt like that. As, as long as I didn't look down, right. I was okay. But right. I just, yeah, it was it was really scary and very, very exciting. Right. And um, um, really enjoyed it, actually. Yeah. Those for figuring out what the what the show could be mm. and what it needed to be, what the broadcaster needed it to be. Yeah. Um, Sort of triangulating it between yeah. all those things, isn't it? And this was a time, I mean, it was a few years ago now, this was a time there weren't, it felt to me there weren't as many uh, shows with three female protagonists and it was all about them and their world. Right. Um, there's a lot more now. and But at the time it was like, this is this is really cool. I can actually mm. say some stuff here that I mm. think might be interesting and worth saying. And okay, you know, writing's really hard and it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. And you think you've got this... Yeah 
message that you want to send yeah, out yeah. to the world and actually what you need to do is get the storyline straight and, yeah, and yeah. that's hard and and yeah. so it was a big learning curve but it was exciting having that that opportunity to actually yeah you know when you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that chance to actually to get out there and, and say and say some of those things it was yeah. very exciting yeah. to, to finally have that and to have a little bit of the experience of doing lots of different projects i mean in a way it's i think people occasionally see having your pilot script that gets com commissioned as some kind of winning lottery ticket yeah. actually <laughs> and therefore and now everything is just wonderful it's like no this is a proof of concept and also a proof of your talent to actually then deliver on mm. the actual work of then replicating this many times over presumably you didn't write all 10 or 13 or whatever uh, yeah no no absolutely yeah. uh, and it, like you say it is just like i've got to do this all again yeah oh my god how do i how do I do this? Where yeah, do I start? Yeah. What is it? What is it I'm supposed to do again? Yeah. I can't just write the same story. Yeah. It's got to be a different story. Yeah. So how, what is it that... Well, it's got to be kind of the same, but kind of different. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, really hard to get your head around. Yeah. Um, and also presumably explaining your vision of the show to other writers so that they can then write their episodes too and all that kind of stuff as well. Did you yeah. have to do that kind of... And with a new show, kind of all agreeing what, what, it, yeah. needs to, what it needs to be. It wasn't like I was sitting on a lily pad yeah. dictating... A lily pad, a throne, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, all of, the, yeah I, all of those. I, think I yeah. like lily pads. <laughs> lily pad is good. Dictating. Yeah. It was like, okay, what, well, you know, you guys, everyone in this room, you've all got more experience of writing children's television yeah. than me. Any ideas? Yeah. <laughs> what do you all think it should but be? But the same, like, presumably, yeah. therefore, though, mm. you had to kind of stick to your guns on the show is this and it's not that. And people going, oh, but maybe we could do this and this. And you sort of mm. have to go, we, you, not really. That feels like a different show. That feels like a. That feels like the kind of thing another show would yeah, do. Or yeah. why? Why? Why is you know? I've just been involved in a CBBC show in the last twelve months, and there's quite a lot of this feels like a really good story, but I don't quite know why it would be an hour show. Yeah, because yeah. our show is about X, and so our story should probably reflect that. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of having to sort of say no to stuff as well. I know you. I know you weren't necessarily the showrunner of the actual yeah. show, but equally as the creator you do have quite a lot of clout and you just discover that people do occasionally listen to what you say <laughs> yeah it's really scary when yeah. that happens um yeah no i think that's where the show bible is really important right and i think i know shows a lot of people uh, show bibles are tricky because they can be very vague and ambiguous but i think if you get it right i've read a lot of vague and ambiguous yeah, ones where you read the like, bible and go oh they don't know what this show is the, the, what does any of this yeah. mean and until you actually start the script how do you yeah. know what any of this is really yeah. about but i think you can and should in your show bible nail the key themes mm. and what again what i keep coming back to this but what is it you're trying to say what is mm. the point of this what you know what is and it doesn't have to be some complicated or emotional message but it's just what is it about yeah. what is it you know um and, and i think i tried like i said i've not written a show bible before but i, mm. I was trying um and uh to, to kind of um clarify that yeah. in my own head what do I want this yeah. to be about and you know what do I what do I want people to take away from this when yeah. they're thinking of ideas and obviously I was worked very closely with the producer mm. from, um, Sally on that yeah and um, what sort of I mean and what sort of writer when you're doing this sort of week in week out what sort of writer are, have you sort of turned out to be are you sort of are you a plotter are you a pl are you a plotter sort of planner are you a story character person or are you a sit and type and then figure it out later do you do you basically write 80 pages and then work out what's the what's the 30 page version of this or do you like to you know what what where do you start on stories and you know okay. given the given the existing format you know where, how do you start 
Uh, usually it's it's the funny the funny idea. Okay. It's the, it's the moment that you're hoping that you can build the episode around. It's like you know I think. It, yeah, it would be really funny if X happens in this episode. Okay. How, how can we get there? Right. And then in the course of getting there, you realise it's impossible. And you throw the whole thing out the window or whatever. But that's, I think it's nice to have that thing that you're working towards, that funny bit. Okay. That absolutely shows their characters at their best. Right. That, that, so, the funny, so it's not yeah. just a raw funny bit. It is a, wouldn't it be funny if this character did that? Yes. Rather yeah, than wouldn't yeah. it be funny if, yeah. so, if a character does something. Yeah. yeah. Or, and again, going back to the... Okay, this is what I think the show is about. This is so it's something I'm working on at the moment, and mm. there's a lot of themes about cultural identity mm. and um, what, yeah. what, what 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 does it really mean to be this thing that we all say we yeah. are, kind of thing. And like, what well, how can you best how can you best show your characters struggling right. with that, um, and then kind of work, working around that. Yeah. I think that's always, but it's hard. But I think doing it that way is really hard because you get really bogged down in in a load of stuff that isn't relevant to the story yeah. because you're thinking all these other ideas and thoughts to, that aren't necessarily going to end up in your script and you kind of have yeah. to wade through that. And I think I make life really hard for myself by get, you know, getting bogged down in, in all that other stuff. Right. So you do find yourself, so you do you tend to write long or complicated and find yourself having to cut back all the time or? Yeah, I, I quite, my, my biggest crime is writing about how the characters are feeling at that moment in the story or rather than Why is that what, bad? Because I think the clearest thing to do to get from one scene to the next is what's happening. What's right. going to happen? What are they going to be doing on the screen? Right. Like how they're feeling is important yeah, yeah. because you want to be in their head and in their world. Yeah. But what's happening on the screen? Yeah. Because I would literally write three pages of how everybody's. Well, no, not that bad. I mean, yeah. I'm not. But three pages of how everybody's feeling doesn't really communicate. I can't see that. Yeah. Yeah. What? How? How yeah. are they feel? What? How are they going to show that they're feeling that? What is it? You know. What yeah. does it mean in terms of? The but story? also, how is that going to? Because mm. I've it's interesting. I've read, having done a bit of script editing recently, I've read quite a lot of scripts where scenes sort of just end, and they've actually been quite kind of emotional scenes, and they've mm. had quite a lot of stuff go on. But at the end of it, it just feels like it's ended, mm. and it's like I don't know what's coming next. And in a way, I don't need to know everything of what's coming next because I want there to be a surprise. But it feels like there needs to be more action, action-driven emotion rather yeah. than just emotion. And you can't have comedy without... I don't think you can really have much comedy without the emotion because the emotion gives you the jeopardy so that stuff matters. Yeah. Because if, yeah. if nothing matters, then nothing's particularly funny. But at the same time, you know, emotion isn't just a static state. It's a changing thing which leads to action and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So your yeah. tendency is to have these characters feel things rather than necessarily... Show what they're doing. Show what they're doing yeah, and then yeah. how that leads to the next thing and yeah, the thing. Yeah. And it's amazing and you you'd think you'd knowing that you know that, you'd think that you'd be able to not do that anymore. <laughs> and yet it's amazing yeah, how yeah. you basically just sort of make the same mistakes again and again. I think people assume that you, as you get more experience that you get loads better, but I'm not sure you <laughs> I, th I think as well when you're under stress, you kind of go back to your safe place right. the way that you're most comfortable mm. and that's not always the best yeah choice i think i don't know but yeah like you say why why is it the more you do you would think the more you do it the more you yeah. can do it but it feels yeah sometimes i feel like i'm just going backwards yeah um so i mean presumably uh you have 
interactions with lots of other writers as well on your shows. Do you see them very often, the people who write the other episodes? Or no, and I wish I did because they're all they're all great. They're all right. a fantastic team. We have with so awkward. We have one day a year right. where we sit and, and chat about the direction of the of the one series. One day, yeah. Well, we're all only together. One day? That's we're all mad. Together. Yeah, um, I think because you can't plot thirteen episodes in a day. No, and I guess there's there's no point in kind of going in and, and doing one episode you know maybe you yeah. could do one episode but then that doesn't really help the other yeah you know everyone else so the the most useful thing has kind of been over the years to try and also everybody has different ways of plotting as well yeah. and some people can't do that thing in a room yeah. where they can say this should happen and then this you know yeah they uh, some some really really strong writers they're yeah. not particularly vocal in yeah, the room yeah. and i think it's about finding a way that accommodates everyone right um, and I think uh, again, Sally, who's the who script yeah. edits, is 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 brilliant at that. That okay. is her strength. Okay, so sort of bringing know. the best out yeah. of writers yeah. so that they work in a way that they uh, yeah they're able to be comfortable. Yeah, that's interesting because I think we tend to, writers a lot of writers, especially big males like me, tend to assume that if they just paid writers more money to turn up and we all could sit in a room and storyline, then everything would be better for everyone. But of course, that only really works for big mouths like me. Um, but do you find that what you, when you're in the room, is what you end up writing when you come away? Or do you find that what's in the room, you got home mm. and you sit down and you're like, oh no, that isn't, that worked really well in the room, but now I'm... Oh yeah, you do certainly get some of that. But I think you, you then have a slightly stronger framework, yeah. which you can then start to take apart. Because yeah. um, I think the endless toing and froing on stories mm. uh, can be very frustrating. I've certainly been in situations where... Um, where I've just thought, wow, we could have we could have cut through an awful lot if we just got in a room together and thrashed this out, rather than sending nine hundred emails and three conference calls. I mean, the worst thing is a, is a telephone conference call. Yeah, it's yeah. just is death. Um, and so, yeah, no, I've sort of, and the, yeah, of the, more recently, I've, when I've been the script editor on those calls, I for one have been hugely relieved that I'm not the writer that's now got to go and do something about right, yeah, fixing that <laughs> script because I sure as heck wouldn't want to have to do it, yeah, yeah, because there's something horrible about a phone conference, um, you know, for any reason, I'm sure in 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 politics, civil engineering, everything, phone call conferences are a disaster. Yeah, have you been yeah. on some of those? Um, I've got one tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> um, I've, yeah, I mean, for this particular one, I'm not too, uh, because we're at a stage with the script now where I yeah. feel like, okay, I can I roughly know what I'm doing with this, but right. no, I know what you mean. They are a bit of a, um, when you can't quite hear what the other person's saying yeah. and it's three way. So you're taking it in turns to yeah. speak and kind of going backwards oh, and forwards. Man, it's so painful. Um, but yeah. I, I know what you're saying. Having someone to thrash it out with, whether mm. that's over the phone or however you need to do it, is is less isolating, mm. um, and it can, and it just yeah, it um, forces you to focus yeah. in a way that you're sitting there in front of a blank blank page mm. looking at Facebook for a morning. Yeah, isn't is is um it can is is sometimes that it can be what happens if you're just yeah. storylining by yourself yeah. in a room. Um, and how do you how, when you're on your own how do you work are you good in the mornings are you good, do you keep fairly regular hours do you write at 3 o'clock in the morning do you have to basically disconnect the internet before you can get any work done what, what is it for you um, I, I like I'm, I'm one of those I like to go and sit in a cafe okay because I can't go and distract myself by watching videos on YouTube because it or, looks really bad yeah exactly yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're in a cafe so you've got to focus yeah you've got to, um, you've got to at least look yeah. like a writer yeah yeah 
I once, I once got a stream of abuse off an old lady in Costa because she felt I was taking off a table that uh, somebody should have been right. a, a paying customer. Should. I mean, I was a paying customer. But yeah, so you are conscious of how you, of yeah. how you look to, to other people and you don't go off and suddenly start doing the washing up or um, yeah. you, just, you just get on. So that, that's probably my most productive right. is in a cafe. Oh, right. So mm. do, you, mm. do, you, do you not get that much done at home? Um, I think, I think it's like, it's like, like everyone really, when the deadline keeps reaps closer, you yeah. get, you start getting more productive. Yeah. Um, and then it's just, I don't know. I just, whatever. Yeah. You just, it's all the hours, isn't it? Everything just suddenly yeah. goes out the window and, yeah. um, I probably more productive in the evenings. Okay. But then I'm also more tired in the evenings. So I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it does um, change, I think, cause, yeah. cause I used to be quite good at night and I've now discovered that by 11 o'clock at night I just want to go to bed yeah and yeah. Uh, and work has to be pretty much mission critical to get me to stay up late yeah yeah um and when you have kids as well you know yeah. you kind of need to be human and able to have converse with them over breakfast that's and good yeah that's very much the ideal isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> and I've you know and I so I do try not to work too late because yeah. um then I'm no you know I'm, yeah. I'm no use in the mornings yeah. um uh, so, so yeah, it's just it's always been one of those things. I don't really know when my best, yeah, most productive hours are because I'm always feel like I'm fitting it around, yeah, whatever's going on. It was the same, you know, when I used to work. I was yeah. just I used to uh, um, do the early shift at the call center, and that was great because the phone didn't used to ring for yeah, the first yeah. hour and a half. So I'd be at seven o'clock in the morning working because yeah. I could. Um, were, were you really doing that after you'd done some TV production stuff? Did you just sort yeah. of kick it into touch and don't, or was it just like you just because in a way you sort of. It's hard to work in the wrong kind of television to do the right kind of television. It's sort of almost better if you just do something, do a job that you actually dislike. Yeah. So that really focuses your I mind. Couldn't agree more. Is that what, yeah. was that a conscious yeah. decision on your part? Well, it was the um, working television well, market forces. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the element of that definitely. Yeah. But working in documentaries, the particular shows that I've been working on were very um, emotionally draining, right. and I'd been really struggling. Um, it was a Gulf, during the Gulf War, oh, during the 2002 invasion. Mm. Um, and they were very well-made pieces mm. of television, but it really took it out of me. Right. And also, I didn't like being around other pushy people working right. in the same industry as me on a daily basis. I, oh. it didn't, I found it a bit overwhelming. Um, and every PA that yeah. I ever met when I was working in television wanted to be a writer or had some idea for a book right. or everyone was doing these these high pressure admin production yeah. roles and want but secretly they wanted to be creative yeah. and everybody wanted to get into development um, because production's so hard and so stressful and i think development when you're on the outside of it it, yeah. it looks easier yeah um, and i just found it so depressing uh-huh. like, <laughs> you just it's like oh god it's just me and everybody else wants to be doing this yeah much better to just be out of it completely in your own world, figuring out what it is you want to do. Right. And, and you're almost yeah. inoculated against wanting to work in that particular world. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, that's and that's sort of possibly some rather unexpected advice then for people who listen to this show who are thinking about or trying to work out their way in. Are there any, have you, do you run, do you run into other writers who are you 15 years ago that, you, that you've sort of given advice to? What, what are your... You know, we've talked about trying to make your own stuff, whether that's a good idea or not. Are there any other sort of tips, really, or life hacks or that kind of thing, other than it just takes ages and, yeah. there's no, and there are no shortcuts? And just, you know, like, like you always say mm. on your blogs, just doing it, yeah. just sitting down and doing it. That's how you... And that's what I 
was not very good at. Right. I'd, I'd get involved in making things, going to comedy nights, watching sketches that I'd written six months ago being performed over and over. And I wasn't learning anything from that. Right. And it actually just, just taking time and sitting down and doing it and not mm. letting life get in the way, which is hard sometimes. Yeah. But And that discipline, so you still went through that discipline of trying to get sketches on Radio 4 shows to some yeah, extent. Yeah, and, so, yeah. and actually that discipline probably did make you a better writer, even though... It didn't oh. particularly suit you at the time. You didn't get that much stuff on. And... Yeah, but no, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to get something on. Mm. Like you are working to a brief and that is a good discipline and mm. you're working to a deadline and that's a good discipline. And um, especially like current affairs sketches, they're always great to, mm. to, to, to build your craft, to learn yeah. your craft because um, uh, it just gets you thinking about yeah. writing. You know, there's always material out there to yeah. work with. And I think people assume that to write topical sketches, you have to be some sort of a news hound. But actually, it's worth bearing in mind that most people who listen to the show are not news hounds. Yeah, yeah. And so actually having a slightly non-news... Because I was never that fussed about topical sketches, and I'm still not really. Yeah. Um, so in a way, that can be an advantage, but I think people feel that, the, that most of the opportunities are in stuff like Newsjack and those sorts of things, which is sort of feels like it's got to be topical. Yeah, And you yeah. think, well, I'm not really into that. So, well, no, yeah, the audience just wants jokes, really. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be... These are pegs to hang them on. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be... Mm. I mean, it needs to fit the format of the show. And I think um, that's that's the best advice is if you're wanting to write for a show, listen to the show, yeah. figure out what is that, what is the tone that they're after, what yeah. is it that they're looking for. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be edgy, groundbreaking, yeah. does it? it it's, it's just, you know, you're, especially when you first start out, you're learning by doing. And yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for speaking to us, Julie, and taking the time out to come here. Thank you for having me. Not at all. You're very well brought up. Um, <laughs> All those, all those days with your family watching comedy has been time well spent. Huge thanks to Julie for joining us on the podcast. We're nearly done, but before we go, a date for your diaries. The 5th of December. The 5th of December. That's when we'll be recording our 100th episode live. The 100th episode of Sitcom Geeks. Isn't that amazing? And where a better place to do that than the Museum of Comedy in Bloomsbury in London. Yes, I know it's London. I don't live in London either, but it's very handy for everyone. I hope you can join us for that. Um, special guests should be dropping in and we'll keep you posted on those. But Dave and I will be there and surely that's enough, right? And also other Sitcom Geeks listeners will be there and we can all suddenly see each other and it'll be rather lovely. Tickets will be on sale for that very soon. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at Sitcom Geeks and you'll find more information and prices about um, times and prices and stuff for the 5th of December. But you'll be able to come for free if you join us on Patreon and become a subscriber where you get access to our Patreon-only podcasts. Currently, there's about eight hours' worth of stuff that only Patreoners can hear, with more going up all the time, including episodes where we read the first ten pages of Patreoners' scripts. So um, that's something that you can make use of if you join us at the right level. You can also um, get free copies of my book, Writing That Sitcom, and Dave's book too. Plus, you'll get access to our forthcoming sitcom Soup to Nuts podcast in which Dave and I will create, plot and write a brand new sitcom before your very ears. So that's something to look forward to, um, hopefully um, in the new year. Those are the Patreon benefits, along with the warm and fuzzy feeling of supporting the podcast, which has, you might have noticed, gone weekly for a bit because we've just got so much stuff for you. So the date to remember is the 5th of December at the Museum of Comedy. It'll be great to see you there. Thanks for joining us and speak to you next time. Cheerio.